AviationPros.com is the portal website for AMT, airport business, and ground support worldwide magazines. Visit daily for breaking news, industry blogs, and insightful articles from our magazine's editorial team. And don't forget to sign up for our publication's daily e-newsletters. It's all at AviationPros.com. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Aviation Pros podcast series, Aviation and the Environment. In this episode, we focus our attention on noise pollution, speaking with Ryan Waguspak and Vicki Tutton. Ryan is the Senior Vice President of Aircraft Management, Air Charter Services, and MROs for the National Air Transportation Association, and we speak with him directly from the floor of this year's NBAA show in Las Vegas. Then, we turn to audiologist Vicki Tutton for an in-depth conversation on noise pollution and the general dangers of noise exposure. But first, our conversation from NBAA with Ryan Waguspak. set the stage for the conversation, um, start by uh, defining noise pollution. Yeah, I mean, let's say, you know, noise has always been around with mm-hmm. aircraft, and that has been something that we've seen over the last uh, number of decades, but the one thing that we do need to embrace is that these aircraft and the modern-day aircraft are actually getting quieter. Mm-hmm. They're actually getting uh, less noisy uh, away from the G3s and the G2s that used to produce, uh, unfortunately, a lot of noise. Um, but uh, I think we're, you know, for the most part, we're heading in the right direction. Okay. Very good. Yeah, so um, what are the dangers around noise and to people, you know, and the environment? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, as airports, communities continue to encroach on airports, mm-hmm. right, all across the country, it is, it definitely poses some real challenges, right? Um, because whether it's, it's, it's hearing the noise or visual noise, right, of these aircraft. Right. You know, we need to, as our skies have kind of become more compact, um, we've got to be aware of the impacts of aircraft uh, in and around communities. And but communities need to also recognize the needs for these airports as it relates to job creation and economic development and being able to move, you know, packages and get right. things. We love our same-day deliveries, right? Um, that's via air. <laughs> so um, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, continued change in that arena. But are there any misconceptions around noise pollution we should clear up while we have the time here? Yeah, I think the biggest uh, misconception is is that you know these that aircraft that they're noisier today than they were years ago, and that's just completely false, right? Um, the modern day mo- engines on these aircraft are, are much quieter. I think that's you know as we look at the UAM front um, and the autonomous vehicle, like that's a main focus of engineering is looking at how to create these vehicles as quietly as possible. Sure. So we can continue to have modern um, aviation transportation, um, but still be very aware right. that noise is an issue. Mm-hmm. And you can just kind of touch on a little bit here, but what can be done to mitigate some of these issues? Engineering continues to be incredibly, adapt incredibly well with these aircraft. Um, the, like I said, the motors continue to, to get quieter. Um, and, you know, community involvement, understanding that where your home or where you are related to an airport matters. The, the challenge we get into is, you know, planners will build these airports, right, and they'll think they're... <laughs> 
<laughs> far, far away from development. Right. And, you know, if anything we've seen, we've seen continued development in these metroplex areas, right? And then they become, they start to encroach on the airports. So having community involvement and understanding the right. benefits of airports and the benefits that, that lay there are key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a great segue into my next question. Um, <laughs> what role kind of does the size of an airport play or what operations it does kind of play with these issues? <laughs> you know, it just depends, right? I mean, you cargo to say the least, has exploded. Um, Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. And delivering, and the pandemic has kind of exacerbated our need for um, uh, shipments. We're doing more now via that than, than ever before. Um, how, is that air, how is that material being shipped in? It's air. So, you know, depending on the size of the air, um, aircraft and depending on the size of the field, that has impacts. Um, what we've also seen is people have chosen to move away due to the pandemic. They don't have to live in a metroplex. They can live in, you know, a small town outside a large metroplex, have their farm, have their ranch, have their space, work from home, Mm -hmm. and then they're able to jump on their 172 or Cirrus or or, or light jet and get to a major hub to do those further distances. Very good. so how can, a, how can a community and like an airport work together on kind of tackling these issues? You know, we've seen some really great examples. Um, part of our GAA initiative um, that's continuing is, is seeing how airports and communities engage and work through all these issues, bringing the next generation out, bringing the youth out, exposing them that aircraft are you know, exciting, it's engineering, it's an engineering feat. Um, we've seen fantastic segues with, with restaurants being built at, at um, uh, airports, playgrounds. So when you're drawing that next generation, you're making the airport a very friendly, open environment Mm -hmm. that allows kind of some of the frustration that may be centered around it to tamp down. And it becomes more of an exciting destination. Very good. Um, And kind of turning towards um, those of our audience who might be working right up by these aircraft and the noise, um, what should they keep in mind? What do they need to know to be safe? You know, ear protection, 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 right? These, uh, you only have two ears. <laughs> and protect them as much as possible um, is, is key. You know, one few times turns into, to, and, and that's the example, like, oh, I don't need earplugs. You know, I don't need to move around those aircraft. But unfortunately, these are, can be loud, especially when you're that close mm-hmm. to them and operating. So be, be, be smart, be wise. Very good. So then, last question I have for you, Ryan. Um, just advice for our listeners, how to tackle maybe their own noise-related issues. You know, I think communication and opening up and just having that collaborative spirit is, is what's going to continue to, to um, mitigate any noise issues and challenges that we foresee. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's even you're on the ground and you need support of, of kind of handling these. You know, the complexity of these ramps are only going to get, I should say, the ramp space is only going to get more complex, mm-hmm. right? With these new modern aircraft, with different fueling solutions, yep. being aware, planning, process, and looking ahead is going to be key to, to managing and mitigating any risks that lie there. And now, our conversation with Vicki Tutton. Vicki, well... Thank you again for taking the time to chat this afternoon. Um, to to kick things off, could you start by telling us just a little bit about yourself for the audience? 
Um, absolutely. I've been an audiologist for about 36 years. Uh, a good part of those 36 years, I was an audiologist in the Army, uh, and I managed programs, saw patients, um, taught, uh, did some teaching as a uh, in my last assignment, and did a lot of consulting. I would say that uh, I'm most passionate through the years about the prevention of noise-induced hearing loss. And uh, that's really been where a lot of my uh, emphasis has been uh, in, in recent years is in, in noise-induced hearing loss and its prevention. And for those who might not know, um, what is an audiologist? Well, an audiologist uh, goes to school to uh, learn how to uh, do evaluations, comprehensive evaluations and rehabilitation on hearing loss. So at a very minimum, we uh, now come out of school with a, a doctorate, a clinical doctorate. And uh, again, we probably are the experts in the in the area of hearing loss. And our conversation today is focusing on um, noise pollution and kind of the damages that noise can cause. So maybe kind of just to set the stage for, for this conversation, you know, what is um, noise pollution? Well, noise pollution generally refers to any environmental noise that can impact the activity of, of a human being or any living organism for that matter. The noise levels can be um, to the point of being harmful or at a very minimum can be annoying to the individual. Noise pollution tends to be invisible, unlike air pollution, for instance, where you might be actually able to see the effects of smog or see it in the air. The noise is invisible and the damage caused from noise is also invis invisible and often pretty insidious in its um, onset. Again, noise can be caused um, from things like industry uh, that may be located, uh, that you may be located close to or even uh, work at, traffic noise, uh, construction, airports, uh, and even some social gatherings, large social gatherings. You might expect to see more of these kinds of things in highly commercial areas. But they're, you know, they do tend sometimes to be in residential areas where they tend to be considered more unacceptable to the individuals. So then what is kind of the, the history behind noise pollution? How has it kind of evolved over time? Well, I would say that noise increased over the years due to probably the rapid industrialization of our society and, and increases in population. With increases in population, you have more people driving, you have more traffic noise. Um, industry can put out some environmental noise from large fans and things that may happen um, uh, around, uh, around an industrial complex. As we saw the impact, um, you know, kind of on uh, human health uh, from noise pollution, I think there have been efforts over the years to sort of mitigate some of the negative effects through some noise abatement projects. For instance, um, 
noise from large interstates or highways, you will sometimes see uh, large barriers where it might impact on uh, residential areas where you see large barriers erected to reduce the traffic noise. Airports, um, I remember airports um, being built <clears throat> um, within a city. My, the very first airport I ever flew out of was uh, airport at Kansas City. And it was right down in the center, right off of downtown Kansas City. And then of course, uh, over the years, what happened is uh, it moved uh, out uh, east of and north of the town, uh, quite a ways away from the residential areas. And I think there was a move to do that as they started to realize some of the negative effects from um, flight paths. When I was living in San Antonio, the flight path was right over a home that I lived in. And <clears throat> although they did, re you know, they didn't have flight uh, flights after certain hours or before certain hours, like during sleeping, sleeping hours, uh, I know that there were times that I would be out on my back patio and a, and a air, aircraft would fly over commercial aircraft and it would be impossible to carry on a conversation out on the patio. So I did notice that that was, um, you know, something I noticed when I, when, when within the flight path. Another thing, and this might not be something everybody remembers, but I certainly remember the days of the sonic booms. I grew up in um, a small town in Montana and we had a large, we had an Air Force base not far from us. And it was a daily occurrence to hear a sonic boom, which is when air, aircraft fly faster than the speed of sound. It creates a um, pressure wave that uh, sounds much like a loud thunderclap to those on the ground. And those were uh, pretty much banned starting in the 1970s when they realized that they were uh, a, a nuisance to you know humans and and probably to some wildlife. And that's a a good segue into my next question here. Um, when does noise go from being merely a nuisance to more of a concern, something that's dangerous? Well, nuisance can be any noise that is unwanted, even something as minimal as water faucet dripping or a spouse snoring during the quiet hours of sleep. Um, certainly not at a point where it's going to cause any uh, damage to one's hearing, but it certainly could interrupt sleep, which can have a detrimental effect on health. In terms of decibel levels, the unit of measurement that we use when talking about sound levels is decibels and levels that start at around 55 are considered kind of nuisance noise. Um, not loud enough to create any hazards to the human hearing, but uh, maybe an, enough of a nuisance that they could be distracting or annoying. When you reach the level of 85 decibels, according to, again, according to NIOSH, over an eight-hour day, um, you have reached what's considered 100% dose. And at that level, it has the potential to be hazardous. Again, if you go above that 85, um, 
and they kind of use a, an exchange rate of for every three decibels that you go above 85, you would reduce by half the amount of time that you could be around that noise safely. So if you are, it can be around the noise for eight hours at 85, if you go to 88, that's four hours and 92, two hours and so forth. So, you know, again, how loud and how long you're exposed really dictate whether or not something's going to actually do damage to your, to your hearing. And again, you know, reducing the, reducing the amount of time um, certainly is one of those uh, ways of mitigating the risk. And what are the, the dangers of this? Why should be, people be taking it seriously? Well, noise which falls into the nuisance noise range may not have a direct health effect, but it, it can induce, you know, emotional reactions like, you know, irritability or distress or just any other kind of stress-related symptoms. When levels become hazardous, they can have a more, uh, more direct effects to the human body. Um, some of these are auditory effects that are, um, like the uh, development of noise-induced hearing loss, which again, noise-induced hearing loss tends to be high-pitched. High um, so you have a loss of the ability to clearly hear some of the softer consonant sounds in our language. And so hearing and understanding people, particularly in the presence of background noise becomes very difficult or they might develop um, tinnitus, uh, which is that uh, a ringing uh, or buzzing sound unwanted uh, that occurs in the ear, sometimes uh, constantly, sometimes only noticeable when you're in a quiet uh, environment. Then you can have some other kinds of effects that can be physiological, such as higher blood pressure and stress, or you can have psychological effects, which can be things like distractions, annoyance, depression, things of that nature. So then what are some misconceptions around noise pollution and, and um, kind of noise damage that we should clear up? Well, I would say that because noise is invisible and often doesn't reach the level where people experience pain, there tends to be, uh, uh, there te there t there's a tendency to actually ignore the hazard. I think we, you know, we're very conscious of, you know, if something flies in our eye, that that's going to hurt and we need to do something to protect it. But when it comes to noise, again, the effects, um, or the the injury to the ear is actually invisible. We don't actually have a, you know, a drop of blood that drips out of our ear every time we lose a decibel of hearing. We actually have have no indication of it unless we have a hearing test and somebody brings it to our attention, or we start to get to a point where it it starts to become disabling day to day and handicapping in our life. I think another challenge um, and a misconception is that if somebody experiences a temporary threshold shift that may occur from an intense exposure, an intense ex in exposure, and then 
they they get some rest, they move away from the noise, you know, they get a little rest and their hearing seems to recover. It lulls them into this false sense of security that everything was okay. Even though their hearing was muffled for a while, they may have had a little ringing in their ears, um, that everything is back to normal. But unfortunately, if somebody did experience those temporary symptoms like tinnitus or reduced hearing sensitivity, there is a really good likelihood that some subclinical damage occurred, even though it's not noticed after some auditory rest. Uh, and then over time, what happens is that damage becomes cumulative and all of a sudden one day they, they wake up and, oh, wow, I, I don't understand. Um, you know, I, I've been listening to that music or that, that sound for the last five years and now all of a sudden it's caused my hearing loss. That's kind of the situation. Yeah. So then what can be done to, to mitigate this um, noise pollution and the, the effects it has on people? Well, it's, uh, it, it, some of it's just very common sense. Um, you can distance yourself from the noise if that's possible. Walk away. If you have the ability to turn down the volume on something, turn it down. Know when something is too loud and, you know, you, and understand that you can listen for longer periods of time if it's a little bit lower. Uh, if you can't, you know, reduce the noise or walk away, you can um, obviously wear hearing protection. That is one way of doing it. If the noise is more environmental and, you know, you could use noise controls like planting large shrubs or trees that can block the noise. Um, you can even invest in, you know, a little more loft uh, insulation or windows that are, you know, double glazed or double or triple pane. Um, those kinds of things can reduce environmental noise, you know, that if you want a little more um, ability to, to mitigate that. And then um, turning to those who work close to noise, especially here in the aviation field, a, a large part of our audience is right there on the ramp with the aircrafts. What do they need to know to be safe doing their job around these very loud, noisy environments? Again, if they, if they know um, they are in a program um, and if they are exposed to, you know, um, 85 decibels over a time-weighted average of an hour a day, or higher, then they are in that category where they they need to be enrolled in a program and hearing testing and training and, and hearing protection made available or mandatory depending on the level. If because it most of the time when you're at work, it it's it is difficult to walk away from the noise. And so, you know, knowing that hearing protection um, is something that that, you know, it's, a lot of people think hearing protection, you know, it's just a piece of foam or it's, you know, just something covering my ears. It's not that big a deal. Well, it is a barrier. It is a barrier that reduces the sound pressure that does the damage in the ear that is permanent. Uh, and so just providing a little bit of a barrier to re just to, to reduce that the amount of sound pressure entering the ear, it's really what they can do. So 
wearing that hearing protection and wearing it consistently and correctly. And you've, you've offered us and our listeners a lot of advice already, but any kind of final thoughts, final advice you have for those um, dealing with noise issues, trying to tackle this noise pollution um, concern? Well, I would say awareness is the first step. Um, I think, you know, as a society, again, we tolerate an awful lot of abuse to our ears and really don't think too much about it. Uh, Knowing, first of all, that, you know, and and sound level meter apps are available, you know, free um, and can be an app that you put on your your phone. So if you if you're not sure if something is too loud, you can certainly just take a quick reading. But there there's also what they call the three foot rule. And that three foot rule means if you have to really raise your voice to be heard and understood by somebody standing about three foot away or about arm's length away from you, then you're probably in a, a in a in an environment where the noise is hazardous and you should take precautions um, to either walk away, uh, turn it down or, or wear hearing protection. So I think awareness is the first step. And then with that increased awareness, you can take those necessary um, steps to mitigate the risk. Very good. Well, Vicki, any final thoughts you have for us before we wrap up our conversation? No, I would just say that, um, you know, Hearing is a, a, very, a very important part of who we are as human beings. It's, it's, what connects us to our, it's what connects us to other human beings. It's what connects us to our world. And um, when we have the ability to take care of it and, and ensure that our quality of life well into our senior years is maintained, um, we should we should do whatever we can to make that happen. And again, just using some of those strategies that I mentioned. Um, I'd love to see everybody really take seriously the idea that noise does destroy one's hearing and um, taking those steps to reduce our risk and mitigate our risks when we can. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Aviation Pros podcast series, Aviation and the Environment. Tune in next month for our fifth and final episode of the series focusing on chemical exposure.